0: Well, we are back, everybody. Thank you once again for tuning in. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Inspires Belief Cast. I can't thank you guys enough. We are trending on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts because of you guys. We've had amazing guests on who have shared some amazing stories. They're vulnerable. And because of that, guys, we are just doing great. We're ranked in the top 150 in the world in mental health. And so that, to me, is just amazing. We're trying to help people. And so, thank you. I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsors uh, Wasatch Recovery, Siegfried and Jensen, Veracity Networks, I Hill Institute, and Living Addiction Recoveries, or excuse me, Living Interventions Recovery. And I want to thank all of you guys for being willing to support me. You guys are amazing, and I love you. Today, we are joined with an amazing human being and a light in this world. Her name is Leslie Wyrick. Leslie, thank you for joining us today.
1: Well, Todd, it's just an honor to be asked to share our story on your platform, and I want to thank you for the work that you're doing in mental health to raise awareness, um, and especially on the topic of suicide prevention that we're going to speak about today.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk about a very serious subject, and yeah, Leslie, I know you're very busy. You're doing a lot of good in the world, and I'm just I'm honored to have you on the show. And and folks, I'm telling you, this is going to be a tearjerker. It's going to tug on your heartstrings, but hopefully, it motivates all of us to reach out and help the one who's, who needs it. And I know sometimes we don't even know that and, and Leslie's gonna talk about that. So um, a little background on Leslie, she she knows the highs and lows of life um, and she's uh, she loves to share both. She's had a successful career. She married the love of her life. She was blessed with two beautiful children. But she also knows incredible loss. And um, September 12, 2016, she lost her son, Austin, to suicide, which we're going to talk about today, but among a bunch of other things. And uh, she's a suicide prevention advocate, and she's trained in all kinds of areas in that uh, field. And she has been speaking ever since. And one of my favorite quotes that I love that Leslie says, she says, telling my story to save lives is what gets me up and going every day. I love that. And she's going to share her story with us today. And so maybe Leslie, where we start, and again, there's, we're going to talk a lot about what you're doing, but where, why don't you just give us a little background where you live a little bit about your family dynamic.
1: Sure, sure. Well, Todd, I grew up in Indiana, so I know you're in Utah. We're called Hoosiers here in Indiana.
0: Hoosiers, yes. The
1: Hoosiers, right, born and bred, uh, went to Indiana University where I studied journalism. Now, um, I am the youngest of seven children, so came from a very big family. Uh, My my parents actually experienced loss very early, lost their first child to leukemia, uh, a little girl when she was five. Mm. And then as my dad would tell everyone, I filled my backyard up with boys trying to get to another girl. (laughs) So- five boys in a row and then I came at the end
0: all right a nice book (laughs) in there yeah
1: there you go my husband (laughs) says five older brothers that explains a lot about my personality (laughs) but uh yeah so um I am the youngest and I grew up with five older brothers in northern Indiana Fort Wayne Indiana was my hometown um sort of lived all over the country with jobs and I've had just a really wonderful life um professionally and then um I uh we live now, my husband and I, and I know that you're in Utah, we live in Amish community. So really, I okay. people laugh when I say this. I say there are more buggies than cars where I live. Uh, so I live in a very rural little area called Middlebury, Indiana. And okay. as I like to tell everybody, we have one stoplight and suicide knows no zip code. We have one stoplight, yet we've lost two teens in our town to suicide in the last year.
0: Wow. So, um, yeah. So,
1: we can talk about it. It does not matter. It does not. Suicide, mental health, anxiety impacts us all. It's, it's a universal thing. And that's what we're here to talk
0: about. Absolutely. And again, I'm glad you point that out because we think that it's, you know, just people that maybe have an issue that uh, like, that can't be fixed. I mean, it affects all of us, we all go through tough times. And, and, and in right. obviously this pandemic that we're going through, which even makes it more magnified because of the isolation and, you know, being kind of cut off from the world. So right. and the connection, so, you know, there's a lot we want to talk about. I, I, I want to do, I want to say this before we get into your story. You know, I've done a lot of research on you. And I'm so again, I'm so grateful that you're so willing, but you're a very driven woman. Um, You've been very successful in business and stuff, but you've put that all aside. Mm-hmm. So you could go be this advocate and mm-hmm. to go help save lives with your story and what you've been through. And um, I, again, I just want to give you props. I admire that you're willing to be vulnerable like that, because that's not an easy thing to do, because mm-hmm. you have to almost like relive it every time you tell it, right?
1: Right, right. Yeah, that's a great point. So I was a financial recruiter Um, And then we lost our son. Actually, we lost him on World Suicide Prevention and Awareness Day by sheer coincidence. He took his life. He was 20 years old. And a little background on my son, Austin. He was what, Austin was what the world would call an overachiever. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. he looked like he had it all. Graduated above a 4.0 from high school, taking weighted honors classes, uh, received $26,000 in renewable academic scholarships, uh, was accepted to multiple colleges, played football, yeah. ran track, a two-sport athlete. Um, he even uh, received something called the Hugh O'Brien Leadership Award, which is okay. only given to one student in the entire high school. So, you know, if there was an award or an achievement, he won. He was scholar-athlete all four years, Man. You know, just you name it, yeah. he won so by the world standards austin had it all leadership academics athletics you know it it just everything he chose to go to um there's actually only three colleges left in the united states that are all male and our son decided to attend one of those colleges which is called wabash college it's about 45 minutes west of indianapolis very academically rigorous, very difficult to get into. You have to have a lot of extracurriculars, yeah. great grades, high SAT and ACT scores. Typical, um, very driven. Um, they, they, they say, you know, we inspire leaders. Wabash College builds leaders. So, mm. you know, those boys that choose to go to that school, you know, they're on a mission to like, you know, set the world on fire, right. you know? Yeah. And and that was my son's personality, you know, so as I say, Todd, you know, um, perfectionism, uh, I believe is a part of a mental illness. And I think perfectionism is what ultimately took our son's life. And um, that's why so many people were so shocked when he did take his life because, uh, you know, on when everyone looked at him, he would be the last kid in the world that you would right. ever think would make But what ultimately led to Austin's uh, decision that evening was a relationship with a young woman. And I don't spend too much time talking about that because I said, you know, that was sort of the catalyst that evening. But Austin's whole life was about masking depression and perfectionism. Mm. And that's really what I want to focus on when I speak to young people. And today to talk a little bit to you about, you know, because I've been invited to do our very first TEDx, my first TEDx talk. Congrats! Um, it'll That's be, awesome. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And it's going to be March 26th, and it'll be at Austin's College. Um, I have yet to go back there since he passed away, so it's going to be emotional um, mm-hmm. since he was on campus when he took his life. And um, but my my decision to go back there was one of really raising awareness for kind of what our culture does to young men when they, you know, they have that drive to succeed and that drive for perfect grades. And that yeah. comes at a cost. It comes at a cost, sure. to their mental health, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, you, you, you touch on a point there. I think like, even if you see it a lot on social media, it's like, you know, it's like grind, let's grind, let's work hard. Let's, you know, you push yourself, you can do anything. And, and, and on some level, that's a good thing. So we can kind of break right. out of a molder here and there, right. but the pressure that that puts on an individual, we don't know what's really going on and how that's affecting them. And then if I got to be perfect in order for me to feel like I'm, i I fit mm-hmm. or belong.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And then, you know, with young people growing up today, Todd, let's just throw social media in there. Okay. For a minute. So then they have to compare themselves to, you know, athletes and, you know, I've got to look like, especially young women, I have to look like this, you know, and so it's so much pressure. And I think the one thing that, you know, from, I speak all over the nation, but I, I just spent the week before Christmas, um, on Fort bliss at the army base in El Paso, Texas. I was Mm -hmm. invited there by the chaplain, Um, because they have had 20 suicides on that base this year. Um, And those are Mm. young soldiers, the ages 19 to 23, 24. So I believe that, you know, the key to turning around these suicide statistics in our nation, which are horrible right now, especially youth suicide, is we have got to build coping skills and resiliency into these young people at a really early age. I mean, you really can't start too young.
0: Right. No, I love that. Well, you know, there's, there's so many directions I want to take this, but I think it'd be good if we start with, and if it's okay with you, you received a phone call at two 30 in the morning Mm -hmm. on September 10th. Mm -hmm. And if you can kind of just take, pick up the story from there and just kind of share what, what transpired after that.
1: Well, I wish it was a phone call, Todd. It was a knock on our door.
0: Oh, sorry. No,
1: that's fine. That's fine. Um, so as I tell everybody, you know, my husband can sleep through almost anything, but not me. I'm a very light sleeper. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it was September 10th of 2016 and, um, in a two story house. So all of a sudden at two 30 in the morning, you know, there is a ringing of my doorbell, like my house is on fire Mm -hmm. and just a pounding, pounding, pounding on my front door. And, you know, I jumped out of bed as quick as I could. And I, you know, I woke my husband up who was asleep. And I said, you know, someone's at our front door. And, um, before he could even get out of bed, I was bolting down the stairs and I, you know, sort of yelled through the door, who is it? And I looked, there were windows on both sides of our front door. And as I said that I could see the police car parked in front of our house. And, um, Mm -hmm. I opened the door and the police officers, by that time, my husband was standing beside me and they said, do you, um, have a son named Austin Weirich who attends Wabash college? You know, and I said, yes, I do. You know, and, um, They said, you know, they gave me their card. They said, you need to call the dean at the college. Your son has been in an accident. Now, those are words that no parent ever wants to hear, but especially at 2.30 in the morning.
0: Yeah, really? Yeah.
1: You know, so we ran back in and um, we called the number and the dean of the college answered. And he had shared with us that um, Austin was um, with his girlfriend that evening. And there had been an argument Mm. and our son had um, shot himself. And, um, there was a very bad storm going on that evening. I mean, lightning, thunder, rain, like you couldn't believe. Um, so they tried to get a helicopter in there to life flight him. Um, he was still alive and they tried to get a helicopter in there to life flight him. And, um, uh, they weren't able to land. So they took him by ambulance 45 minutes away. And so my husband and I, we, we had, our daughter was, um, 16 years old at the time. And of course she was listening to all of this on our front porch. And we went upstairs to tell her that we had to get in the car and go to Indianapolis. We asked her to pray for Austin. We -hmm. told her we'd call her and update her when we had more news. Um, So we headed out for a three hour drive at two 30 in the morning um, in this storm. And uh, we got about a half hour down the road and my cell phone rang, Mm. And it was the emergency room doctor. And he said, um, he asked if we were on our way. Of course, I told him that we were. And, you know, we asked if we could pull over to the side of the road so he could talk to us. And um he said that the ambulance had just arrived with Austin and he was sorry to tell us that there was no pulse.
0: Gosh.
1: And um, so, as I say, my husband, Keith, Austin's dad, who is really the most soft-spoken man I've ever known in my life, you know, he just took his fist and hit the steering wheel and cried out to God and said, you know, why a why? And um, we we both just sat on the side of the road and then we we drove on, you know, the next two and a half hours, pretty much in darkness. And that storm was just never letting up. And we got close to the hospital and Keith looked over me and he said, you know, it's like God is crying with us tonight. And I always say I believe that he was, you know.
0: Yeah. But as I
1: tell everybody, you know, people who are believers and people that, you know, believe in more than we see here is that we were about to experience love and mercy that night like I've never experienced in my life and five right. years later I can't even explain it to you um so um, hmm. when we arrived um there was a chaplain that walked toward me and he took Keith and I to the back where we could sit down and of course the doctor and nurse both came in um and the first thing they asked us is if we wanted to see our son's body And I really don't know where these words came from, but I said, you know, no, because our son's not here anymore. Mm. And that's a decision that Keith and I have never, ever regretted. But um, where the most miraculous part of that evening came from was um, in our state, the way this happened, because of a suicide, someone has to identify the body. And so um, somehow I say in the depths of my grief, um, I seem to remember a very unique injury that Austin had on his left ring finger. And I started to describe it to the nurse and doctor and the chaplain, Chaplain Paul. He spoke up and he said, Mr. And Mrs. Wyrick, I'll go back for you on your behalf and I'll identify oh, your wow. son's body for you. Wow. And I said, what an incredible act that could have Good. only been given to us by somebody that has walked in our shoes because he prayed over us before he went back and yeah. really asked God to give us comfort the way that he'd been comforted three years earlier when he lost his 17-year-old son. Oh
0: man, yeah. So,
1: you know, the whole night just, and then the blessing was we were able to um, harvest Austin's organs. So we were able to donate both of his heart valves, his corneas, and all of his bone and tissue. So that allowed us before we left that hospital to realize that families were getting calls that morning. You know yeah. people were lives were being changed lives were being saved so it didn't feel like we left everything at that hospital we felt like life was going on and um and i said i i would really love someday to meet the person that got austin's eyes because he loved to read yeah and um wow. i haven't done that yet but i hope to do that someday
0: sure. yeah and
1: um but so and then we established um in two weeks we had over twenty thousand dollars in a scholarship fund at his high school so we have given away over, we've given away five high school scholarships, college scholarships in this high school in the past five years. And then That's this amazing. past, a year ago, I joined, I, I partnered with our community mental health center. Um, I cover two counties and I am the first suicide prevention specialist um, in these two counties. And we are implementing um, an evidence-based suicide prevention program called Sources of Strength. In four school districts this year, and we're hoping to add two more by fall.
0: Wow, that's that's amazing. You know, I want to talk about you know that um, chaplain that went back to to identify the body. What a, like yeah. you said, what a tender mercy that was, and, oh, wow. and a blessing that you needed in that moment of grief of you know tremendous grief. That's not even right the word, but you know. Um, you know, as, as, you're, as you're going through this in that moment and stuff, I know you and your husband are, uh, are men and women of faith and, and you rely on that a lot. How, how did your faith, you know, obviously it was helping you in the moment, but how does that continue to maybe help, help you do what you're doing now and, and, and move in this direction of helping people?
1: Well, I know you have many listeners out there who have different beliefs, but you know, we are people of faith. And one of the things we did not have Austin's service for two weeks after he died, because we were trying to get family in and okay. people were kind of flying in from all over the United States and even out of the country. So his celebration of life, I decided, you know, we're not going to talk about what happened in the last second of his life. We're going to talk about the first 20 years of his life mm. and who he was. Yeah. And so I asked everyone to wear red. His, his high school and college colors were both red and white. So, um, I decided I wanted everybody to wear something in red and white. I asked everybody, I sent it out through Facebook, you know, we're going to celebrate Austin. You know, in fact, a lot of people ordered his Jersey, his football Jersey with his number 37 on it. It was a celebration, but I really, I really prayed. I didn't sleep much in those few weeks and I prayed and I asked God to kind of show me, you know, a direction we knew within 24 hours that we were going to use our story. We knew very quickly. Um, Yeah. We had said, my husband and I, that if we ever, ever had an opportunity to show people who we were, it would be at Austin's service. And so we had about, we did not run an obituary when he died. That's just, we just didn't. And we had 650 people at his service. We would have had 750 people, but his football team was playing that day. Um, And I really kind of cried out to God because I really wanted to speak about his life and who he was. Yeah, and so I am not a biblical scholar. But I opened my Bible to Genesis 5020. And if you know Genesis 50 20, it's about Joseph and his brothers, but it says, yep. You intended oh, yeah. to harm me, but God used this for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many, many lives. So wow, I claimed that I claimed that verse. Little did I know how powerful that verse was going to become and be manifested in my life, but so. I'd like to say that was the last tragedy time that that college had on their campus. But on the two year anniversary, the first year on Austin's death anniversary, it's hard. It's world suicide day. And we were just navigating through our grief, trying to get through it, you know? So on year two, you know, I really wanted to use, I wanted to do something meaningful that day. I wanted to volunteer in an organization. So what I do, um, Hospice is taking care of a lot of members of my family. So I serve lunch to the hospice nurses and social workers on that day. Okay. Um, and so that's what I do. I volunteer on that day. So, on the two year anniversary, which would be 2018, World Suicide Prevention Awareness Day, Keith and I were getting ready for bed. And I got a text message from one of Austin's former roommates at Wabash College. And he said, um, Mrs. Wyrick, I don't know if you heard, but Evan Hansen, the co captain of the Wabash football team, took his life today. And I'm sorry to have to tell you that today, but I didn't want you to hear about it on the news. Yeah. So that was just, you know, and what came out of that was his parents who we've become very good friends with now. Evan Hansen was 21 years old. He died by suicide on September 10th, 2018, two years after Austin, Austin's teammate. And, um, so, uh, His parents very early, within a week, spoke to the Indianapolis Star newspaper, and they asked if they could include our story with Evans and if they could interview us. And they so they reached out to us. And um, our our backgrounds and our stories are very different. But we shared our story. And within about two weeks, I started getting phone calls from people and messages and emails asking me if I would share our story at a school or share our story somewhere and then I was invited, um, I, I, I still laugh about this. I got contacted by the largest nonprofit in our state to see if I would be their keynote speaker that January. Wow. And they and I laughed at them and I said, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a keynote speaker. I'm not, you know, I have a story to share. And, yeah. they're, and they're like, well, we really want you. And this organization puts licensed clinical therapists in schools. It's called Crosswinds Counseling. So my mm. husband's like, yeah, I think you should do it. I think you should tell our story. So three months later, I I get up there, and um, this was the fifth year in a row they they had had this fundraiser, and yeah. in twenty four minutes, um, I took the stage and I shared our story, and Wabash College was there that evening. They drove three hours to hear um to hear me speak, all of Austin's teammates and roommates, and um, so I shared our story, and I don't say this to boast, Todd, but to raise awareness sure. about how this no, I know impacts. You Everyone. Yeah. Um. That that was the fifth year in a row they did it. We broke a fundraising record. they raised two hundred and forty nine thousand dollars ten wow. minutes after I left the stage.
0: Man, and that's at, amazing.
1: At that point, and that's to, was to put licensed clinical therapists in twenty five schools in Northern Indiana.
0: And at Dang. that point, I
1: went. You know what? This story. I knew our story had power, but I thought this story has to be told again and again and again to save a life. Wow. And so. Um, And then I started speaking, you know, um, I would speak at youth groups. I would speak at schools, um, health education classes, just kind of wherever. And my first talk that I gave was to a group of young women. And, um, at the end of my talk, a young girl by the, I think she was around 17 ran out of the room and apparently she was one of six children. I learned her story later um apparently she had written five letters that afternoon to all of her siblings she had a plan she had the means she had it all prepared the next day to take her life and she came to my talk and she went home in tears of course she turned those letters into her mom and her mom called me and she said you saved my daughter's life tonight because of your story she's not going to take her life tomorrow And that young woman is a junior at Indiana university studying accounting right now. And I still keep in touch with her.
0: Well, if she's listening, if she's listening right now, we, we want you to know we love you and Leslie loves you obviously. And we're so glad you're still here.
1: I love her. I have a lot of stories like that now. I've been doing this for years. I have a lot of stories. So that's really why that's on my website. Why I say that because I just need one story like that. So when I was at Fort bliss Um, You know, I spoke to those soldiers once again, you know, you've got, you have a recipe for suicide there you have young men who are, you know, have access to firearms, and then you know you just throw in a as I say an immature prefrontal cortex, which is where you know we can talk about that where all those decision making skills are housed, it's not fully developed till they're 27. They get emotional in a relationship like my son did 19 out of the 20 suicides involved a relationship. So, you know, I went there to speak. I went there to share our story. We talked about the signs of a toxic relationship. We talked about gun safety. We talked about it all. We talked about their brain, their emotions, stress. And I got at the first evening I was there, I received an email through my website from a mom of a soldier. She said, I don't know what you said today, but you opened up a conversation with my son that I would have never had until he heard your talk. So I know, I know, I know that there were, there were, um, Well, the chaplains shared with me a lot of stories that week. So the the chaplains told me I made their office very busy that week. (laughs) So so I said, good. Yeah, (laughs) good. That is a good.
0: Yeah. And again, that's why you're sharing. You know, I want to, I want to, this is a quote from Leslie. She says, quote, I often tell people I'll never stop grieving my son, Austin. I will never stop tearing up when I tell our story, but I will tell it over and over again because it's saving lives And it gives, and that gives me tremendous hope. And, and and this is exactly what you're explaining. You're having all these experiences and, and you're causing things to move, you know, and help people in a direction that they need to go in. Love it.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, the last school that I spoke at Todd, you know, I would say, you know, right before COVID shut our world down, it was February 25th of 2020, And I was working full time as a recruiter for a financial institution, trying to get out of my lunch hour after school, trying to speak in there, just literally were not enough hours in the day. So I had already kind of been thinking about, I'm going to do this full time, you know, it's just sort of happening. And then, so I took a day off and I went to a high school in South Bend, Indiana, a charter high school, right by Notre Dame, where I live pretty close to Notre Dame. And um, I started asking these kids if they would mind raising their hands if they lost a friend or a family member to suicide and three 90 minute health education classes, over half the hands went up over mm, half. Wow. And I told my, my husband, I'm like, that was my aha moment. I'm like, I need to get out and speak more often, but how can I do this working full time? So then fast forward two weeks later, COVID shuts the world down. And I still right. had six schools on my agenda. to okay. speak at. Yeah. So I told my husband, I said, you know, This this mental health crisis is only going to get worse now in this pandemic, especially with our young people being isolated. So, and I say this through the program that I'm working with in schools, connection is protection. We need to not isolate. So these kids, yeah, connection is protection. And we can talk about that. So, So I told my husband, I said, you get these kids isolated and, you know, on their, you know, social media, there's going to be a lot of kids that need support and help. So I started trying to do some trainings via zoom and, you know, and I, am happy to do that, but my talk is very raw and emotional and it's most impactful in person. For sure. Um, And so as I tell everybody, I'll fly wherever, you know, I'll go wherever, but if I can do it in person, I prefer to do it in person. And then it also gives me an opportunity one-on-one to speak to them. They come up to me a lot after my talk and they want to talk, you know, I've opened up things. And so, uh, You know, so then, uh, you know, fast forward, we're getting through COVID, it's not getting better by October of that year, I get, this is October of 2020, I get a call from the CEO of our community mental health center. And she said, um, I just listened to one of your talks. And she said, would you be interested in coming over and having a conversation with us? We don't have a designated suicide prevention program here. And I want to talk to you about it. Well, that was music to my ears. Right.
0: Yeah. Right. So, you know, yeah. I
1: mask, I mask up it's 2020. Right. I go over there. I'm in this yeah. big boardroom sitting at one end socially distanced. <laughs> end. Yeah. And you know, I thought I have nothing to lose here, Todd. Right. I have nothing to lose. And so she said, what would you do? If you could have one, just one thing, what would it be to impact and reduce the amount of teens and young people who are losing to suicide? And I said, I've been waiting for somebody to ask me that question for a while. Yeah, I would put an evidence-based, I'll and ta- I'll explain this, upstream approach to suicide prevention in every elementary, middle and high school as fast as I could. And mm. she said, what do you have in mind? And I said, I was waiting for that question too. <laughs> because three years or prior, a year after Austin died, I was blessed to hear Kevin Hines speak. I don't know if you know Kevin Hines, but he's the most famous suicide survivor in the world, jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge yep. and survived.
0: Yep. So I, I got yeah. to
1: hear him, speak. oh, he's phenomenal.
0: Yeah. I got
1: to hear him speak in person at this mm. high school. And after he spoke, I got to hear about this program called Sources of Strength. And I was like, we need that in every school. We need that where I live. You know, this was another county. Yeah. So I presented the program. I told her how it worked. Explain explained to her everything. Um, so I joined our community mental health center. I just had my one year anniversary this week. I joined the community mental health center as the first suicide prevention specialist in two counties, Elkhart and St. Joseph County where I live. And we are raising the funds and implementing sources of strength in uh, five school districts this year. I'm hoping we just got funding. I'm very blessed. Um, Last week, I got a call out of the blue. There's a group called the 100 Women Who Care. You probably have it out in Utah, too. So it's 100 women who put in $100. They raise $10,000 a quarter. Wow. And then each nonprofit, you go, you pitch your you pitch your program to them. Right, Todd? Yep. And then they can vote on what program they want to give that $10,000 to. Well, you're, the way it works is you're supposed to be there that evening. You're supposed to present your program, Right so um last tuesday evening out of the blue i get a phone call i don't recognize the number i'm tired i don't pick up my phone it's dinner time a minute later i get another phone call i recognize that number i pick up the phone they're like you need to call this person at this number that just called you i said okay (laughs) so i called the number and they're like we are at the 100 women who care meeting tonight we presented leslie's hope and we voted to give you ten thousand oh. dollars, which is two more schools this year. Dang, I wasn't awesome. even at the I wasn't even at the meeting. You weren't even there. <laughs> I wasn't even there. So next week we'll do the check presentation, and I'll get the ten thousand dollars. That's enough to almost fund two. It's it depends on the school size. It's roughly yeah. about five six thousand a school, depending on the school size, mm-hmm. to implement it. But that's enough to get two more schools set up and running.
0: Wow, that is amazing. That is yeah. you know, and again, I I know why they gave it to you. Um one you have a a story you're telling, but man, your passion, I mean, people listening right now can feel I mean, I'm feeling your passion here. Your passion and your desire to help other people is infectious and uh, I'm telling you, I'm feeling it and I think that's why you're having all these people reach out to you, they're willing to give money and whatever. So I I just want to I mean, I love your passion. <laughs>
1: appreciate that. You know, I have a really dear friend who lost her brother to suicide years ago, and he mm-hmm. battled a lot of severe mental health issues. And her family has, has opened up an organization called The Carriage House in her hometown. Mm-hmm. They do phenomenal work. But she came to hear my keynote one night, and she said to me, you know what it is? She said, "When your pain, when your pain meets your passion, it becomes your purpose. And I said, that's it. Because my pain's not going to go away, Todd. I can't rewrite my story. That doorbell rang at 2.30 in the morning. But, you know, I am a woman of faith and I tell everybody, you know, we all want to hear well done, good and faithful servant, but I also want that old enemy to go, man, I knocked on the wrong door that night, you know, because of what happened. I want so many young people to still be here and still be standing and still be doing great things in this world. And, You know, we need to help our young people know and give them and we always say it's not enough to prevent suicide, we have to make this world worth hanging around for and living in, you know, so that's what we're trying to teach these kids And, and I can share a little snippet of how that program works if you'd like me to and tell you a little bit about it.
0: Yeah, please do. And then I've got another couple of questions around Austin's uh, uh, perfectionism I want to get into. Okay,
1: sure. Well, this program, the reason that I love this program, two reasons. Number one, it's peer-led, the students run it. So I love that the students take ownership of their own mental health, right? And their own wellness. It's a suicide prevention program that rarely mentions the word suicide. It's really a wellness program, Mm -hmm. Todd. Because when you teach wellness, You prevent suicide. When you teach wellness, you prevent bullying. You prevent those things. So it uses eight protective factors that we all have in our lives. Some kids might have one, some might have two, but they can build out their wheel. We call it the wellness wheel.
0: Mm. And those
1: protective factors are family support, positive mentors, positive friends, healthy activities, generosity, spirituality, physical health, and mental health. So we say the first things are the who's in your life, which are your family support, positive friends and mentors. And then what we do, healthy activities and generosity and spirituality, and then physical health and mental health. So what we do is we work through the kids with their life. What does that look like? Because we know family can be a pain factor for a lot of young people. So it could be chosen family. It could be, you know, so we work through everything on that wheel. And then these kids what we do is we, the, the, the students are nominated to be peer leaders. And what we call a peer leader, you're an influencer in your group. So we want to take 10% of the student population and nominate them to be peer leaders and we train them. Mm. So a lot of times we'll have a teacher say, oh, you don't want him as a peer leader. He's a behavioral issue in my class all the time. And I'll explain to these teachers, I'll be like, but he's an influencer in his group. So we do want him but we wanna flip the script and teach them a different messaging. So what we wanna do okay. is we wanna take a diverse population of the students, 10%. Then from there, we have adult advisors who can be teachers, coaches, community leaders, youth pastors, whoever. For every seven to 10 peer leaders, we have one adult advisor. And then okay. we give them an all day training in this they, We train them for six hours an all day training. And then we set up twice a month where they meet and we give them a budget to do a PSA campaign. So okay. these kids that are peer leaders so they can get the message spread throughout the population of the school. So these kids might do, I mean, TikTok, I know it's not always positive, but it can be positive. So sure. these kids could do a TikTok campaign like, you know, what's your generosity look like this month? Yeah. Or, what's your source of strength this month? So we give them a budget to run uh, in a perfect world. In a COVID world, we're going for six campaigns, but we'd like them to do at least nine PSA campaigns in the year. Then we bring in a speaker at the end of the year. But here's the data point there. And then we can move on. A peer leader, another student, is four times more likely to identify a student who's about to harm themselves earlier than an adult in the building. Oh,
0: wow. Wow.
1: So you want to break those codes of silence and let those kids know they have trusted adults. So those peer leaders will take that to those adult advisors. And that's where you start to change the culture and prevent suicide.
0: Wow. That sounds like an amazing program, yeah. like honest. And I, you know, it's all great, but I, the one that really stood out to me is the generosity going out and doing something for someone else. You know, in my, in my uh, line of work, I always say, if you master the first 11 steps of AA, you'll drink again. If you master step 12, you'll never touch another drop. What's step 12? Giving back and helping someone else. I love that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and I always I tell the kids when we get to that on the wheel, I go, generosity is my superpower, you know, and I tell them, I say, here's what generosity looks like, you know, and I'll talk to them about all kinds of things that they can do, you know, like, you know what generosity can be, you see a friend in the hall and like, they're really struggling and having a bad day. And you can go put your hand on their shoulder and be like, Hey man, how are you doing? How's it going? I'm like, that's generosity, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, generosity, my two favorite things on the wheel, I like all of them, but are generosity and mentors because mentoring, January is National Mentoring Month. So I talk a lot about mentors.
0: Oh, I love it. Well, um, I want to talk just because I think a lot of people struggle with this is you talk about perfectionism. Yes. And and Austin struggled with that, you know, trying to live up to a certain standard. Just tell us what your perspective of that is. And how does one, how do we kind of navigate through that and not, you know, be caught up in perfectionism? What would you say?
1: Right, right. Boy, in our culture in the United States, and I'm I'm just going to speak about the United States because I'm very active sure. on LinkedIn. That's my platform, and I work with a lot of people in the UK, and yeah. they're very, I think they're very ahead of us on mental health over there. Yeah. But in the United States, I think our culture is we are so caught up in making sure our kids get into the right schools and the GPA is above a you know three point seven five, and yeah. in the long run in life, is that really going to matter, Tom? is that really going to matter? No. And, you know, so I'm really big on social emotional learning and teaching our kids, you know, empathy, teaching our kids, these life skills that they need, because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, life is hard and look what we've just gone through in the last two years. You know, I, I wonder how my son would have weathered this COVID storm because, you know, he was a perfectionist. And, and so to give you a, a little glimpse of Austin and who he was, um, You know, every night before he went to bed, he would reorganize his book bag and he would clean it out daily. He would set it by the back door so it would be ready to go the next morning. Like everything had to line up in a row. And uh, so, you know, uh, he was just hard charging, hard driving, you know, uh, would work out an hour longer than anybody else in the weight room. Well, What that cost him was his mental health because, you know, Bless his heart. He was great with children. He was great with older people. But in his peer group, he pushed people away because nobody could measure up. Nobody was good enough. You know, if they didn't do things the way he did them, you know, then they were lazy or they were a slacker. So I think we have to be really careful as parents. And I know parents, and I'm not judging anyone's parenting style here, Todd. I guess I need to have that disclaimer. I say, I'm not a perfect mom. My son took his life. But I said, learn from our story. Please learn from our story. You know, um, your kids, the greatest gift, and I was just on a podcast with immigrant moms. I'll share that one with you. And I told them, I said, Mm -hmm. because your kids come here, and I said, they come into this world hardwired with a personality. And I said, "The, the number one gift that you can give your children is to teach them how to fail. Well, how Mm. to fail. Well, love that. Because because here's the thing. Resiliency is the number one thing that helps people in their career, in college, in high school, you know, throughout our life. And look what your story is. Look what my story is. So, so, so in order to realize that, you know, um, your failure is not a failure. Your failure is actually part of your education, it's part of your education to get you to the next step. And I will share with you briefly. So I did a Facebook Live with the Immigrant Moms group. They have built this phenomenal group. It's based out of Dallas, Texas. And the woman that started it, she's an attorney. She started it because these immigrant moms were coming to the United States and putting so much pressure on their kids. And if you if you think about it, we have a lot of people, a, a lot of physicians, a lot of doctors are Asian or Indian. And she said, they come to this country and they say, you will go to medical school. You know, I didn't bring you to this country to bring me a, a C's. You better bring me A's. And yeah. So that takes a toll on their mental health. And, and she, so they're having a real uptick in suicide in that culture yeah. and their kids right sure. now. Sure. So I spoke on this Facebook live and they said, if you could talk to the immigrant moms about anything, I said, I know you came here for your kids to have a better life, but guess what? We all grew up here and we want our kids to have a better life too. That's every parent's dream. But I said, the very best thing that you can do is to step back. Failure is not fatal. Failure is going to teach your kids how to, okay, (laughs) get back up the next time. But if you're there to catch them before they fall, then you're not helping them. And so I said, the one thing that I would say about these parents that have kids in every sport, every activity, want their kids to be perfect, it is going to take a toll long term on their mental health. And their emotional well-being
0: Wow. Um, yeah
1: yeah and so i saw that in my son if he would have a breakup with the girl in high school he would just emotionally plummet it was yeah. the end of the world for him there was no other girl gonna come around and it was the last girl and i'd say austin you are young you are just figuring out relationships but you know he could not accept failure uh, of anything and um and it ultimately cost him his life and, and wow. I say, Todd, you know, no one dies of suicide. Their circumstances are different. Their backgrounds are different. Um, what leads up to that moment is different, but it does come down to that split second decision in that moment yeah. um, when they cannot see to the next moment that things are going to get better. So I always tell everybody, if I can give these kids real-world tools, and what I give every student that I speak to is I give them the text crisis hotline wristband. It's Mm. lesleyshope.org, and it says text nice. HOME to seven four one seven four one. I get those funded. I take them small, medium, large. I take, I'll take i take 500 of them in February to a freshman academy and every student will have them. Some of them will come up and ask me for extras for their brothers and sisters yeah. because I'd say, I'd say to them, if you think you have no one to talk to in this world and no one cares about you, look down at your wrist and text the word HOME to 741-741. And in less than five minutes, and there's two powerful tools that I'll tell you for teens because teens are impulsive. Young people are impulsive. Sure. One is the text crisis hotline, which I love. Text the word home to 741 741. Because then people say, why don't you give out the suicide hotline number? It's 10 digits and they're not going to dial it. We have to speak to them in the language that they can yeah, understand. That's a
0: good, great point. Yeah.
1: So in July of this year, we will have a three digit suicide number, 988, but it's not ready yet. So that's why I don't give it out. Yeah. When it's ready, I'll put that on my wristband.
0: For sure. I um, love that.
1: So I give them that, and then I give them a wonderful free app called Not Okay. You can look up notokay.com. I can send you that link. The Not Okay app is a simple GPS locator. They have to put in there up to five trusted adults in their circle. And the the adults have to accept so they know they're in their Not Okay app. And it's a covenant agreement they make with an adult. So if they're at a party, they get in trouble, or they have a fight with their boyfriend or girlfriend, they break up. They have said, I will not harm myself and I will not move. I will click not okay. And so if there's three people in there, is their trusted circle or five? It sends out a message like, you know, uh, I've got Todd, I'm on my way, you know? So yeah. the other people in the circle know. And so between the not okay app and the text crisis hotline, it's, it's just their go-to. So when they're in that moment of crisis, those are the practical tools that I leave them with.
0: Dang, that's amazing. I love that. And I think that's a great way for someone who is struggling to immediately get some help in that moment. And again, you talked about that. Um, I think you said it, uh, connection is protection. Yes. So when, when we're, because usually when we're going something, through something hard, we just at times feel alone. But if you can click that and you got your top right. three, four or five people who got your back coming to right. see you and get you, right. you're connected again, right?
1: Yes. And, and I think I learned that I started speaking to about three years ago, I was at a large youth group, probably about 150 kids. So um, uh, somehow or other in that, I said, I said, this is a judgment free zone. I want you guys to know what we talk about in here stays in here. It's safe.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I want you, if you've had a day in the last two weeks, there's 150 kids. I think it shocked the two youth pastors if you've had a day in the last two weeks when you just thought life is so hard, I don't know if I'm going to be here tomorrow. I want you to raise your right hand. Mm. It was a see of hands time, a see of hands. And then I said, okay, thank you for your honesty. Yeah. Now, I want you to tell me if you had somebody you could talk to judgment-free. No questions asked. They, they just listen to you, be there for you. Would you reach out to that person if you had that? I want you to raise your left hand. They did. And so they each went out of there with the wristband. I said, you guys have it on your wrist now. Wow. In under five minutes, some, a trained counselor will text you back. You sit still. They will just assess that you're safe. Then you can choose what you want to tell them. Yeah. You can talk to them about what you want but it's getting time between that impulsive brain, because this is an important point I need to bring up on this podcast. I don't believe any suicidal teen, young adult, older person ever wants to take their life or die by suicide. I don't believe they do. I believe that they are so overwhelmed with pain in that moment. They don't know how to stop the pain. So what they are trying to do is stop the pain. And the only solution they have is by ending their life. They don't want to die, but they want to stop the pain. The pain's overwhelmed. And young people, as I say, the prefrontal cortex is the the higher, your higher level reasoning, decision-making, impulse control, anger management. That's not, you know, psychologists and research used to tell us it was fully developed at 25. Well, guess what, Todd? Now it's 27. Mm. So you know, wow. I have a PowerPoint. I show my son when we, when I talked to teens, I said, if you look at Austin, he was 240 pounds, six foot four, big, strong defensive end football player. But you know what? He had seven more years for his anger management, impulse control, and decision-making to be fully developed. To
0: develop, yeah.
1: So when push came wow. to shove in the heat of an argument that evening, he made a poor choice. Yeah. So getting these kids to pause in that moment and either text a number or click that not okay app, that's a life-saving tool because then once you can get them to what we call you can co-regulate and help them manage their anger, anxiety, sadness, whatever it is, the big three emotions, once you can get them, sit with them, let them talk, you know, de-escalate the situation, they may never have another suicidal moment in their life like that again.
0: Right. Right. Oh, that's beautiful. So it's keeping
1: them safe with those those practical tools like the Not Okay app and the Text Crisis Hotline.
0: Wow, it's beautiful. I love it. I love what you're doing, Leslie. It's amazing. Thank you, Tom. You know, I want to. You know, if I mean you've you've got all these resources and this and that, but I'm going to ask you another tough question. But you've already given us some great advice. But if there's one person listening to you right now, in this very moment, who is in that dark place, Mm -hmm. and maybe they don't have the wristband or thing like that, what What advice could you give that one person? What would you tell that person who's in that dark place right now?
1: I would tell them that we've all been in that place. I would tell them that they, and I tell my kids, if you are thinking about suicide, you are not crazy. You are not weird. You are not stupid. You are normal. Mm -hmm. We all feel that way at times. We all go through those dark moments, but I will tell you one thing. Hold on, because I promise you as bad as you feel right now, it is not going to last forever. You are not going to feel this way five minutes from now, 10 minutes from now, tomorrow. And so I want you to hold on to hope. And I want you to know, don't isolate. Make sure you've got a person. And I have t-shirts that say, find your person, because I talk very much about the importance of having a person in your life. Yeah, for sure. It's super important for these young people to know that person needs to have a fully developed prefrontal cortex. It can't be your 14 or 15 or 16 year old friend because they're still working on their prefrontal cortex getting developed too. But it has to be someone who has weathered some storms. We talk about that, you know, having a mentor. And I think this is an important thing. And for you also with your podcast listeners. So January is national mentoring month, but Todd, listen to this statistic. So they Forbes magazine did a study of the people that were like the top in their field, like the top hip hop artists, the top attorneys, the top firemen, the top doctors, what they all had in common, their common denominator was they had a mentor in their life that they yeah. kept throughout growing up. But here's an interesting, interesting statistic about mentoring. Um, so 80% of all people who develop a mentor when they're young, like I'm going to say high school, college, mm-hmm. and keep that mentor in their life, keep a relationship with that mentor, will never develop a substance abuse problem. Do you know how many, and, and 50% of suicides involve drugs and alcohol?
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: So if you yeah. can, So if you can say 80% of people will not develop an addiction if they keep a mentor in their life, if they get it early in life and they keep it in life, and 50% of suicides involve drugs and alcohol, you're essentially saying a mentor prevents substance abuse and suicide.
0: Wow. That is amazing. Thanks for sharing that. And very yeah. well said and great advice for the one who's listening right now. Cause I know there is someone listening right now.
1: They're not alone, Todd. They're, I want them yeah. to know they're not alone. Yeah. I want them to know that if they can hear me, I mean, and they have a phone, please text 741-741. You can text anything. I say text home. It's short but please text that. Please know that you're not alone. There are people that love you, even though right now you feel alone and try to connect, try to find someone to sit beside you and just listen to you.
0: Yeah. Beautifully said. Wow. Well, man, I could talk to you all day. Your passion seriously is so infectious. I love what you're doing and there's no doubt you are going through this for a reason. And uh, it's unfortunate you have, have gone through some loss, obviously, but uh, it's amazing. I want to refer back to the scripture you mentioned, Genesis fifty twenty. I want to reread that. Sure. You intended to harm me, but God decided to... Dis- I'm going to repeat that. Sorry, I just butchered that. <laughs> you intended to harm me, but God decided to uh, use this for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives Wow. And that is you. Um, And I want to thank you for being willing to come share a portion of your passion and story of what you're doing. Thank you, Todd. And I want to tell you just how much I admire you. And I want to thank you for being an advocate to helping those who are suffering.
1: Well, thank you, Todd. And I think I want to make sure that every young person, anyone, anyone who's dealing with suicidal ideation knows that. You know, there are so many resources. So make sure that, you know, you always have someone you can text and, 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 and in the summer we'll have a three digit number that you can reach out to because so many times I tell everybody, you don't need to be a licensed clinical therapist to save a life, but you need to have a set of ears. (laughs) And I always say suicide prevention begins with listening and with your ears. So just sit down, you can't fix it. And I think an important point I need to bring up before the end of this You cannot give someone the idea to take their life by asking them about it.
0: If Mm. the thought
1: is not there, you can't put it in. So what you can do by saying, are you thinking about suicide? You can let them know that you notice their pain and you can open a door for them to talk. And that is the most life-saving thing you can ever do.
0: And great. That's a great point. You know, if someone wants to reach out to you, Leslie, that's listening to this, they want to know more about what you do. What's the best place for them to go to, to know more about you?
1: Sure. Well, I have a website. It's Leslie's hope. And that's just one word, no apostrophe L E S L I E S H O P E Leslie's hope.org. Because I always tell my kids, it only takes one second of hope to be here tomorrow.
0: Dang. Love it. Leslie's hope dot org guys. You heard that please reach out to her. You will see all the great things she's doing. She's certified in so many different areas in this field now, and she's out there obviously doing good and saving lives. And, and it's unfortunate. We have to go through some loss sometimes to, in order to, for stuff like this to happen. But I do believe that, you know, it's a gift at the same time. And I know that sounds weird, but man, having Leslie do this, you really are a gift to this world. And you, I'm, I'm honored to be, I mean, I'm looking at you face to face, even though it's through zoom, but I, it's so great to see you. And, uh, I love your passion.
1: Thank you, Todd. And thank you for allowing me this platform to hopefully reach out. And I, I, it's my hope and my prayer that you and I together saved a life today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, there you go, folks. I told you this was going to be amazing. And, uh, it's going to tug on your heartstrings and, Um, Please reach out to Leslie. If for some reason you can't track her down, reach out to me and I will forward that information to her and we will do whatever we can to help you. I love you guys. Thanks to my sponsors once again. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. Please share this episode. If you think you have a son or a daughter or a niece or a nephew or anyone you know, and if you're even afraid to talk about this, send them a link to this episode so they can hear leslie's passion and hope and um, that will open the door for a conversation remember connection is protection and we got that straight from leslie's mouth love you guys and leslie thanks again
1: thank you todd
0: till next time everybody